It's time for episode 51 of the Clockwise Podcast from your pals at IDG, recorded August 27th, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, a tech podcast that's ahead of its time. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and sitting across the country from me, as always, is my co-host, Hesson Snell. It's me. It's not Philip Michaels. He, his takeover attempts have, have, as yet, failed. Hi, Dan. It's the long tail. He's working a long con on us. <laughs> He's welcome to it. Go ahead. Good luck, Phil, with that. I can't wait. He'll be all the guests at that point. Yes. Speaking of guests, as ever, we are joined by two extremely talented and knowledgeable guests. Uh, to my left is Macworld Senior Editor Roman Loyola. Hi, Roman. Hello. And to my left is PC World Senior Writer Brad Charkas. Hey, Brad. Hey, how's it going? Welcome back. To remind our listeners how this podcast works, we've each brought a technology topic that we believe is worth discussing today, and in the interest of not wasting anybody's time, including our own, we'll limit discussion of each topic to just five minutes. Since I got to introduce the show today, I will start off with my own topic, which is... Will the cord-cutting future ever arrive, really? I was thinking about this yesterday as uh, Apple added yet more channels to the Apple TV, um, this time including Showtime. And the Showtime one is kind of cool because it actually lets you watch live TV. But in order to use it, you still need to authenticate with your cable provider, obviously. So, which, you know, leads to the question of, well, why wouldn't I just watch live TV, you know, on my TV? <laughs> So, uh, you know, I understand all of these uh, technology. I understand all the business deals that are in place that, that make these companies not want to jeopardize where their money comes from. But it's as someone who does not have a cable or satellite or other subscription, it's very frustrating to have all these, you know, all this nice content sitting there mocking me because I don't have a subscription. Isn't the whole point of having this box so I can watch stuff without having to switch over to my cable provider? Um, so uh, is this just the way it's going to be from now on, or, or or is there a chance for cord cutters like me to truly have everything we want? Roman, help me out here. I have this feeling that the cord cutting will arrive, but I have a feeling that we'll all be dead by the time it's here. I mean, these companies <laughs> bringing me down today, Roman. <laughs> bringing me down. No, I would love to have the cord cutting future just come at come while I'm alive. It's just that. You know, these companies, Comcast and Time Warner, just seem so all-powerful and encompassing. They have all the money in the world to make sure that their business model continues to bring in money for them. And just having to log in with my Xfinity account so I can use the content without the cord, it seems ridiculous. And it's weird. It's just that these companies, it seems to me more political than anything else, than actual implementation of technology and these companies wield a lot of power and i'm not optimistic in that they're going to be able to uh, somebody is going to be able to wrestle that power away from them anytime soon yeah he, i mean here's the thing dan i mean people talk about cord cutting but what they're really talking about is they don't want to spend money but they want to get video or they don't want to spend much money oh, but they I, want to I, get video. I mean i'm spending money i subscribe to like four different services <laughs> Well, so this is, but this is the thing: is that this premium stuff. This, this is the the argument about um, unbundling TV and letting people buy all a card. Is that all the channels would be much more expensive then, and then people would be back to getting like a maybe their hundred dollar cable bill would be like a seventy dollar cable bill instead. And and so I, I'm just saying there are economic issues at work here. Um, and right now the um, 
the first step is to actually get the stuff that's not streamable to be streamable at all. Um, TechHive did a story this week about Major League Baseball and the head of Major League Baseball Advanced Media kind of saying that next season, if you're in a local market and you have the MLB TV thing and you've got your cable login, you'll be able to watch your local TV on your MLB app, your local team, which is a huge step forward. It's ridiculous that that's a huge step forward, but it's a huge step forward. And then from there, you start talking about what we call over the top. And I do think it's going to happen. But the problem is the cable companies, I mean, Roman talked about politics. The cable companies know that certain kinds of things, and sports is a good example of that, like that's what keep people watching live and paying for television. And I do think that stuff's all going to come to streaming too. It's going to be expensive. And that's going to be the next wave here is that HBO is going to be over the top or or the NFL is going to be over the top or NBC is going to be over the top. But you're going to be paying $20 a month or $10 or $15 a month for just NBC. And you're going to say, well, but I, w- I want Fox and CBS and, and ABC too. And they'll, th- and they'll step up and say, okay, well, it's $20 a month or $15 a month for us too. So, well, And I'll gonna, say I can get all that over my antenna, so screw Well, well sure. But, but I mean, this is, or, or you can think of it for cable channels. So I do sure. think it will happen, but I think it's going to be incremental. And when it first happens, because the economics are so hard, I think it's going to be way more expensive than cord cutters are willing to pay. Uh, I just think that's where we're, where we're headed. It's just like how you can buy TV shows on iTunes, but they're so expensive that nobody is going to buy, cut the cord and then just buy every show on iTunes. It's too expensive. I'm in a unique position. I haven't had cable in over a decade. So, I mean, I'm a dude who's used to not, you know, watching Game of Thrones with everybody and tweeting about it. And You're whatnot. the original cord cutter, Brad. I was cord cutting before cord cutting was a thing. You know, I subscribed to Netflix. I had I used to have Hulu Plus, not anymore. Uh, and as a dude who doesn't care about sitting there tweeting about the Emmys or whatever, um, I actually find that my personal interests... I have plenty of stuff to watch already just with, like, my Amazon Prime and my Netflix subscription. Uh, The one pain point for me is sports, as always. Yeah. Last year, it was real nice being able to use Aereo to watch uh, football on my big screen. This year, because I live in the middle of nowhere surrounded by mountains and trees, I'm going to have to probably get basic cable just to watch football, and I think that's the major hurdle that's left in my opinion i'm kind of on the flip side from brad which is i don't give uh you know a crap about sports but i want to you know i want to watch the the shows they're actually on and hulu is pretty great for this stuff i have to say um by and large i can get you know 90 percent of what i want to watch on hulu and that's fantastic um what you know what kind of frustrates me is that i am a comcast subscriber but only for internet i mean I, I you basically can't get away with having giving these guys some of your money as roman is pointing out because they're so entrenched <laughs> um and to a certain extent i'd be perfectly happy to pay an additional amount of money on there you, you know to have basically my account authenticated as it were without having to have you know someone call come and install a cable box and go through all that hassle but like i felt i feel like maybe there's some middle ground here um in the same way that a lot of comcast and some of these other providers have been offering services where you can get like hbo in addition with your internet package um i think that they you know their television's not going to stop changing anytime soon and so these guys are going to have to try and figure out a way to find a middle ground that might not be you know everything being over the top although every time you said that jason i just kept thinking of sylvester stallone i know arm wrestling. wrestling um and 
it just seems silly to have it to require you see what i'm like yeah. the authentication yeah that seems weird it seems weird i think there's a simpler solution coming someday but as roman says we'll all be dead by then no. <laughs> roman how else roman's can, right roman how else can you bring us down today do you got a topic oh yeah let me let, let me bring, bring us down a little further so this my summer reading this year was the circle by Dave Eggers and people who aren't familiar with this book. It's about this internet company that sort of becomes this all super powerful company. And the guy, the guy who creates the company gets rich by creating this system where people's true identities are on the online. So there's no anonymity, so to speak. So people are held accountable for their actions. So that, with that in mind, so a few days ago on iMore, Peter Cohen, who used to be a contributor yes, for our, us our at colleague. World, yes, wrote an article about can we try not to be, I'll say, jerks to each to each other for a while. Basically, addressing internet trolling, uh, people who are just being mean spirited to each other, bringing up things like the uh, incident with Zelda Williams, Robin Williams' uh, daughter, who decided to leave social media because people were just being really mean about his recent passing. Um, and then just ha- ha- last night, just happened to me last night, my wife came home from work and she's working a trade show right now and she's, she's working the booth. And she came home in a horrible mood and saying how people there, the men in particular, just treated her like crap because she's a woman and didn't and would say really snide things to her simply because she's a woman. She's a product manager. So she was able, she's able to speak about the products that they're demonstrating but the men were just, were just not having it because she's simply because she's a woman. And so I, just to go a little bit further, that made me a little angry last night. So I was going to vent on Twitter. And then I go on Twitter and then I see a tweet from, I believe, Anita Sarkeesian, yep. the activist, of uh, feminist yeah. activist feminist for frequency. video game. Yeah. And she tweeted that she's, she recently received threats that, were enough to make her call the police. Yep. And I just like dropped my iPad and went, no, <laughs> running for my- Not day. even Twitter can be a so release. I don't want to be part of society anymore. So, you know, I guess it's, I guess maybe this is more of a venting session than a question. The question I guess I have is, is it possible for us to not be jerks to each other for just a little while? You know, is is it possible anymore? Maybe we need to cut all the cords. <laughs> <laughs> right. All the cords. Right. And then we'll just be wireless jerks, Jason. I, I, I actually saw a guy um, who used to be a game writer and now has sort of been exiled to one of those sites that'll post things from anybody. I think VentureBeat has one of these is where he posts now, which yeah. is like literally we'll just take anybody and let you write anything. And that's a questionable practice. Um, and he actually said uh, he started giving people uh, who were who were jousting with him on Twitter – um, and saying, you know, death threats are uh, illegal and unacceptable. And he d- he disagreed and started making death threats on Twitter, saying, go on and arrest me. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, could you up your ante on being a jerk? And the answer is there's always further you can go. You can always double down, jerk. Jason. You can always Amazing. double down. Amazing. So, uh, Roman, I don't know. I, I, I feel like they're – I feel like 
moments like this when people are talking about it and frustrated and seem like full of despair are actually signs that something is happening and that people that for a long time like troll culture was not even um, sorry to the ones who live under the bridges. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> Troll culture was ignored on the internet, and then you, you would not be spoken of, and you'd try to just ignore it, and nobody would talk about it. And now the internet's so pervasive, and so many people are online, and, and people are talking about these experiences that I'm encouraged about it because – um, I think as a society, this is what needs to happen. As a society needs to recognize a problem and say, this is not okay anymore and take steps to make it something that's either either driven even further underground or you know, p- punished to the point where people are like, well, I would, I would troll them, but I'm going to be like that guy and end up in jail. Um, so I'm encouraged by that, but I despair in the meantime because it, it, there's no accountability and people can say what they like. And, you know... I, it's it's um it's unfortunate and you you ha- when you're out there on the internet you got to grow a thick skin. I mean, we're here doing a podcast and we write articles on our websites and uh you know, people are jerks to us too and I dissent is not a bad thing, but right. being a jerk is a bad thing. And that and yeah. that's attack what we always say on our on our comment threads on on the IDG sites is attack the uh issue, not the person. Right, right. Just don't make it personal. Make it about the issue because if you make it personal, you're sort of saying you can't, you know, you act, you can't actually argue this. You, you, you've right. run out of arguments and you just are going to be a jerk because there's nothing left for you to do. So I'm encouraged in the long run that this is the, this, this conversation is part of a process where society says this is, we identified this as a problem and we want to fix it. I don't know. All I have to say is the internet's been full of jerks from the beginning yep. and it's going to be full of jerks till the end. And we're just going to have to deal with it and ignore it. I don't know how you would punish them, as you say, uh, without, you know, you know, it's kind of squashing on free speech rights, which obviously, you know, is from the government, not private corporations. But still, I'm a big believer in uh, people saying what they feel. Right. But har- those- harassment and threats are not free speech. Correct. No, no, no. And hate speech, too. You yep. know, that stuff's not cool. Uh, and it's been a mess this past week. I uh, there's been an issue with a Kotaku writer and a developer. Uh, yeah. And I know I've worked with that guy before, and uh, he's been getting it pretty harsh. So I've seen this week just how bad it can be, but just got to grow a thick skin. I mean, I'm not really sure what the solution is going to be other than don't feed the trolls. Yeah, that's the tough part is, I mean, I, I agree with Jason's sentiment that, you know, society needs to address this problem, but these people thrive specifically on attention. I mean, that's presumably what they get out of it. Um, and so there is, how do you straddle that line between not acknowledging them, um, but also finding some way of deterring them? Because, you know, it's like, it's like when your, your parents tell you to tell you to deal with, you know, bullies and stuff in school, right? Like, or, you know, people who just wanted attention and things like that, you know, don't, don't sort of sink to that level, but it's a lot harder. And especially on the internet, which, you know, a, co- a keystone of the internet is anonymity. And that makes it really hard because when people feel like they're not accountable for anything, um, they feel free, like they can really, they just, the worst sides of humanity come out. And so, you know, I agree with Brad in the sentiment that, you know, there's not much you can do to police free speech, but as we are saying, there are limits. Free speech is not, is not unlimited. Um, you can't harass people. You can't, you know, be out there propagating, you know, hate speech or advocating, you know, people to do crime, you know, thing, you know, commit crimes, etc. things like death threats, you know, that's I, I what is wrong with I mean, like, did no one civilize these people? Do they not go to kindergarten and learn to, you know, play well with others? I, I really don't understand what's at the root of this. 
Um, because, you know, I, I firmly believe that there's a lot of good things that you can accomplish with the anonymity on the Internet. You see a lot of the stuff in, in other countries where you have repressive regimes, and that's a really good opportunity for that kind of dissent, as we were talking about, to come to light without fear of retribution from, say, a, you know, dictatorial government. But, you know, uh, apparently when we're especially, I think, in these first first world countries where we feel like we've felt entitled to free speech for so long, um, we really just decide that we're going to apparently go and just say whatever the hell comes to mind, even if it's a terrible, terrible stuff. So I, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I think this if the four of us could solve this, that'd be great. I'm sure people would be really <laughs> happy about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I it's it's kind of awful. And I, I do the whole co- cutting all the course things does sound every once in a while seems pretty attractive. Get your hermit shack ready. So the solution is to cut the cord. Yeah. All the cords. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. It probably won't happen until we're go. dead. There you go, Roman. <laughs> yeah, it'll happen when we're dead, and then and then there'll be TV over yes. the top of the new gift from orbit. Dead. It's the only way to be sure. It's the only yeah. way to be sure. All right, that we are at the halfway point. I want to tell you about our sponsor. It is once again Personal Capital. This is a free and secure tool that solves two barriers to growing your wealth. The first barrier is it's hard to keep track of all this financial stuff: stocks, your four hundred one k, your bank accounts. They're all on different sites. They have different usernames and passwords. And second, if you pay somebody to manage it, you're probably paying too much. Personal Capital brings all your accounts and assets onto one single screen on your computer, phone, tablet, and it's got real-time intuitive graphs. It shows how much you're overpaying in fees, how to reduce your fees. You get tailored advice on optimizing your investment. So why wait? Signing up takes just a minute and it'll pay big dividends. Personal capital gives you total clarity and transparency to make better investment decisions right away. To set up your free account, go to personalcapital.com, and I'll remind you again, C-A-P-I-T-A-L is how you spell this kind of capital. Personalcapital.com slash clockwise. Let them know that, that we sent you. Personal capital is free, and it's the smart way to grow your money. Personalcapital.com slash clockwise. And get your free account today. And thanks to Personal Capital for sponsoring Clockwise. All right, halftime's over. Now it's my turn. A lot of uh, Apple nerds have been talking recently about iTunes and how iTunes is this big bloated thing that does like 10 different things. And everybody keeps dreaming of a new version of iTunes. But there's been a beta of iTunes recently that is... um, that is uh, not that different from the old versions of iTunes that we've seen. And I just wanted to ask this broad question. I've heard it debated on other podcasts this last week or two. Does Apple need to fix iTunes? Do you use iTunes? Does it bug you? Have you gone past it? And if if you think Apple does need to do something to fix iTunes, the app, the service, whatever, I'd be interested in knowing what that is. Brad, uh, you're, a, you're a PC World guy. Are you aware of the iTunes? I have heard of the iTunes before. <laughs> I actually have no Apple devices. I have Android PCs, so on and so forth, even a Chromebook, but nothing Apple. How do you listen um, to music? Do you listen to music on your computer? Yes, I listen to music on my computer for eight or nine hours a day, actually, and what, the and entire what, time I work. And what app do you use? I use uh, VLC for my local files, oh. and I use Spotify for everything else. Do you have playlists in VLC? Um, not sure. Whenever I boot into VLC, it's just to listen to an album. How do you feel about Winamp? Is that still a thing? (laughs) I'm sorry. Now I'm dating myself. It it was, it was killed off last year. I think they were talking about bringing it back. Oh, really? Oh, it's up to last year? Amazing. Yeah. All right. uh, iTunes, I tried using it way back in the day, but it was just always just complete garbage on Windows. I was hanging eating CPUs. Really bad on Windows, yeah. Windows has been dead to me for, uh, iTunes has been dead to me for a long time because of that. 
All right. So, Brad, the answer is if you want to fix iTunes, Apple, you got to make it good on Windows. And yes. that's not going to happen. Come on. Let's be no. serious here. <laughs> Remember when Steve Jobs said it it's was like the best giving- app ever on Windows? <laughs> <laughs> Was that uh, the giving a glass of ice water to people in hell, or was that Safari on Windows? Either uh, one. Either, either one, one didn't really pan out that well. You have to laugh. Dan, what about you? iTunes? Fixed? I do use yes, iTunes. No. I do it. I do. I use it every day. Uh, I listen to pretty much all of my music in it. Um, I really try to cut down on what I use it for. Um, so I don't really use it for podcasts or TV shows or movies or any of that stuff. I don't really keep apps locally in it anymore. Um, so it's really for me mainly about music and it works okay as a music player. Um, I think that there is still too much emphasis on it. I, I've said for years, I really wish they would separate out all of the uh, iOS syncing management stuff. I feel like that should be a separate app. Um, and these days, I don't even need to sync usually with iTunes because all that stuff goes, you know, from iCloud or iTunes Match or what have you. So not having to deal with that really, I feel like, reduces a lot of headaches for me um they haven't gotten rid of i know there are some of my colleagues who who use it for that kind of stuff but i i've always felt like it's a weird that that needs to be in there and it was all kind of a holdover from when you used to have to sync your ipod um and i i feel like that's a huge chunk of the clutter um and i understand why you know the store is in there and everything i, I wish the store wasn't in there too i feel like i mean you know really if you want to fix it split it up it's like it's like at&t Turn it into a bunch of little apps. <laughs> so I, I don't know. There, there's a lot of little things they could do to fix it, but I think the big one would be getting rid of some of that cruft related to syncing with your, your mobile devices. Yeah, I still use iTunes, but I have used it less and less over time. I, I don't use it for podcasts anymore. I use Downcast. Um, it's mostly to organize my music. And I, I agree with Dan. I I think they need to blow it up into separate components. Maybe, you know, maybe have one app that's like your iOS device app, and that kind of figures out how to sync between your music and video and everything else. It's it just feels like a gigantic app to me that that that's unwieldy and it, it runs fine for me, but it just seems like it's trying to do too much at, at, for for one thing and. I try to avoid using it as much as possible. Uh, I, you know, I use it to sync my iPhone maybe once a month, but otherwise, I, I try to stay out of it when we, when I when I when I uh, don't need to use it. I, I, so we're all with Brad basically. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no I, I, I'm with I'm with uh, Dan. Actually, Dan's use case is exactly mine, which is I hate that it doesn't sync well, but I've basically stopped using it to sync. Every now and then, I've got a video on a hard drive that I need to get on it and watch with the videos app. And even there, I feel like with what they're doing with iOS eight and having more of a file system, that that could go away. And I do mm-hmm. use it every day as a music player and it's fine um you know and it's the only one on the mac essentially because apple scared everybody else out of the market and it's fine for that but but yeah i I feel like the syncing stuff should come out but at this point i think their strategy is really just to play the waiting game and at some point it's not going to be important anymore because it's all going to be in the cloud all right we have one topic left it's going to be brad he's going to be talking about windows because that's what brad does and we love it go ahead hey i'm the pc world guy i'm the only one here represent (laughs) all right God help me, I'm going to talk about rumors. Uh, So, Windows 9. Reports have come out saying that Windows 9, or Windows Threshold, as it's currently being called, is uh, going to be revealed at the end of September or the beginning of of October, uh, just in time for the end of Windows 7 PCs and stores. Uh, One of the interesting bits that really intrigued me 
is there are several reports saying that on ARM-powered tablets, so basically Windows phones and Windows RT tablets today, like the Surface, um, it will ditch the desktop completely to focus solely on touch in the Metro UI. Alternatively, there's another report from a prolific uh, Russian leaker who's been leaking solid stuff for five or six years that says uh, the enterprise version of Windows 9 will ditch Metro completely and focus solely on the desktop if you're on a PC. Uh, so I'm just wondering, do you guys think this is do you guys think this is a good thing or a bad thing? Do you think it's you know a retreat? Do you think it's uh, playing to the strengths of different kind of devices in Apple-like fashion. I'm just wondering what you guys think about that. This is like Schrodinger's Windows tactics. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I incidentally Windows Threshold. I, I hope they keep that just because I feel like every time that they they uh, switch to a different naming scheme, my head just hurts more. We had what like ME XP Vista seven eight. Wasn't there a Windows Blue at some point too? That was another code name. All code names, yeah. Yeah, well, seven and eight aren't, hopefully. Um, yeah, so I, I think... Forgot Longhorn, Dan. Yeah, Longhorn, NT. oh, NT, yeah, God. Um, great naming. Um, I do think that playing to the individual strengths of devices would be a really smart move for them. Um, I think that the biggest problem that they've had with a lot of the adoption on things like surfaces is that it's not really sure what camp it belongs into. And they tried to do the thing where it's like, oh, it's great at everything. And as it turns out, that's really hard. Um, it's hard to make something that is good at all of those different use cases, which are extremely different. Um, and again, while it, while it plays well, or while it's, it's a great idea, um, I think that there's a lot more strength in, in creating software that works appropriately with those devices and it stops you from having to sort of hedge everything. So, uh, I think given the relative lack of success from the surface as it's currently positioned, it seems like trying to focus much more around touch there could potentially yield a, a better success or at least a stronger competition against things like the iPad and Android tablets. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Windows is interesting, it is so monolithic, and I think there is a lot of stuff that's still left just running Windows because that's the legacy stuff that's been around forever, uh, and people are very loath to sort of let that go, and the companies that make those niche software don't want to have to like, redevelop it, etc. Um, but at a certain point, I think their, you know, their lunch starts to get eaten by all these new technology that comes out, so they got to do something to shake it up, and I think this could be a good move on their part. It seems like Microsoft is in this sort of conundrum, though, because they obviously need to push in certain directions, but they have this huge installed base and this uh, IT infrastructure that's very resistant to that push sometimes because that affects what they're doing. And, you know, so what can Microsoft do? They need to address the needs of their, their customers, but at the same time, they need to develop their technologies in a certain direction, and they keep running it they keep banging into each other and it's it's almost like they need to have a separate product set not that they need more product sets <laughs> but they need like a separate place where they can go hey this is we're going to try all these new things where we're taking our technology and where the future lays and lies and it's like they need to do that or something like that effect so they can progress as a company and progress their technology it's just Seems like they're wrestling with that all the time. Microsoft, okay, I, this is wacky, uh, wacky metaphor time. Microsoft, I feel like is like that that restaurant or that deli that gets famous for like the really great roast beef sandwich, and they say, "Hmm, people are interested in other sandwiches, but everybody buys the roast beef sandwich from us, and they're going elsewhere for other sandwiches. This is a problem." And so they start saying, 
now we're putting some turkey in our roast beef sandwich. And it's like, no, no, I want the roast beef sandwich. Why don't you make a turkey sandwich? And they're like, we do make a turkey sandwich, but nobody will buy our turkey sandwich. So what Nadella is saying is like, look, we're going to embrace the fact that that for Windows on Enterprise, they want it to be this way. And they want the roast beef sandwich, and we're going to give it to them. Um, and, and they're going to have a hard road to hoe if they aren't leveraging Windows and trying to shove all these other things that are good, actually interesting products down their throats by piggybacking it on Windows. Um, but in the end, uh, it's going to be painful. I, I think in the end, if Microsoft ends up using all the money that they can make on Windows and Office to build other businesses that are for the next 10 or 15 or 20 years, then all the better. And I think Nadella, that's what he's doing. So I think these are, are uh, definitely reversals over what the Balmer era brought us. But I think it's good. I think it's good for Microsoft to do this and 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 let each product be what um, its customers need it to be. What's ironic to me is I think if all this stuff uh, does wind out, wind up being accurate, it's kind of like Windows 9 is going to be what Windows 8 probably should have been, and Windows 8 should have been what Windows 9 winds up being. Well, that's uh, I believe that's four topics, as promised and delivered, but we do stick in our little bonus topic at the end here. I was just going to say that I, I believe the start of the school year is right around the corner. And we sent places. our kids to school today. There you go. It might have started already. So I was curious to hear from you guys what your favorite subjects were in school. I had multiple. So, so in elementary school, my favorite was language arts, English. In high school, it was journalism. I took journalism classes in high school. And then in college, it was Latin art, Latin American art. Uh, for me, uh, we had a video production class in, in uh, high school that was awesome and a radio class that I did. And then, hey, I'll never be on the radio again. <laughs> um, and uh, in college, I, you know, I actually really love chemistry, but um, and uh, that was almost my minor. But humanities, there was a humanities class. There was a lot of art and literature, and that was a really awesome class, too. I've always been deeply fascinated by history, which has turned into a borderline disturbing obsession with Civilization Five. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah, for me, English pretty much all the way through, although I did take a great video production class. And in college, uh, my sort of minor was Near Eastern Studies, which I really dug. So, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, thank you all for your enlightening answers. I believe that's all the time we have for today. Roman Loyal, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And Brad Shark, it's always a pleasure. Indeed, it was a pleasure on my end, too. So until next time, we're reminding you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.